And thank you to the worship team. I think they all scooted out. They'll be back. But thank you to the worship team to give us a great Give us an opportunity to spend some time just praising and thanking and worshiping the Lord. If you are visiting with us today, and I know I've talked to several of you, if you're visiting with us today, we welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to bring you into our fellowship and love you if, if you're looking for a home church. And what we'd ask you to do is one of two things, either fill out the bulletin flap and turn it in uh, at, after the service at our welcome desk, or just stop up front and say hello, and we'll have a team up here who want to greet you. But it's very important that you feel loved and welcomed oh, while you're here today. Well, we've been uh, looking at this book of Nehemiah, and when I started thinking about this book and thinking about what I'm going to be doing today, my mind went back a lot of years ago in 1993. I started a graduate program at uh, then Philadelphia Biblical University, now known as Karen University. They changed name from Philadelphia College of Bible to Philadelphia Biblical University to Karen University. So I got three diplomas. I don't know if that means anything or not, but... Uh, and one of the things that we did during the times that I was there in the counseling program is we spent a lot of time reflecting and looking at ourselves. And one of the authors that we used over and over again is a man named Dr. Larry Crabb. Some of you may be familiar with his writings, but Dr. Larry Crabb is a Christian psychologist who writes uh, for the American Association of Christian Counselors, and it really impacted me even to this day. And what Larry talks about in his books and throughout his writings even today is about that you and I have a story to tell. Every one of us in this room has a story, starting from the day we were born to the very present day. And if I had an opportunity to sit down with each and every one of you this morning, you would tell me a story, and I would get to know you a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more at a deeper level. But Larry goes on to say something that's very profound. Most of us, when we tell our story, what we tell is what we call the outside story. Now, the outside story is a little bit about who we are. So I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Point, and um, a lot of you know that I'm a baseball fan, so I, I love this weather. I'm ready to go down to Florida. Beautiful weather. And I'm a Snoopy fan, and I love to travel, and I have three grown kids who are the, the light of my life and three grandkids who are really the light of my life. Okay? But that's kind of the outside story. But that doesn't tell you a whole lot about who I am deep down inside. It gives you just a, a snapshot. And so a lot of times what happens to us is, is we don't get to tell the deeper parts of a story that we call the inside story or what's going on deep down in my heart. But Larry talks about another story. He talks about what we call the larger story. And the larger story is God's story. It's God's redemptive work in your life and mine. And what part do we play in that redemption story? So this morning, we're going to continue looking at raised from the ruins, this whole concept that we've been looking at through chapter 1 and now going to look at chapter 7 and 8 and 9 today. And we're calling this portion 
repentance, and change. Now, uh, we're going to be looking at 7, 8, and 9, and we're going to be looking at the outside story. We're going to be looking at the inside story, and then we're going to be looking at the larger story. Now, chapter 7 is the outside story. Now, I understand that I have three chapters today, and they've allocated 30 minutes per chapter. Okay? So, uh, j just hold on tight. We're, we're going to get through it. Okay? But no, we're, we're going to get through pretty quickly. I'm from New York. I talk fast. So, we'll get through all three. But I want you to pick up on the profound message and the transition that's happening here in this portion of Scripture. So, if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to Nehemiah chapter 7? Nehemiah chapter 7. If you are visiting with us or you don't have a Bible with you today, there's uh, plenty of Bibles on the seats or a white Bible. And feel free to take that Bible home with you as our gift if you don't have a Bible. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. If you don't see one close to you, raise your hand and our ushers will come and get you a Bible. Okay? But we'd like you to follow along as we take a look at chapters 7 through 9. Now we're going to be starting in chapter 7. And we'll pick up the story. We know that uh, going back to the very beginning of the book in Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a cupbearer in the king's court. And a, a cupbearer is not a position that uh, most people want. You taste the food and you taste the drink. And if you survive, then the king gets it. If you drop dead, they know that wasn't very good and they get another cupbearer. So that's not a job that you and I want to have. And Nehemiah was called by God to do a work, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, why were those walls torn down? Well, we'll get into the whole idea of the exile because of the unfaithfulness of God's people. And so we've seen how that whole process took place, and we've seen the opposition, which we all will face when we try to do the right thing. But here in chapter 7, there's a transition going from the work that needed to be done physically to the work that needs to be done in our hearts, in, on our minds. And so in chapter 7, we see that the wall is finished, but we also see that there's still some things that need to do. So let's take a look at chapter 7 and verses 1 through 4. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed... I gave my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was more faithful and God-fearing than many. And I said to them, Let the, not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem some at their guard post and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. So what we see here in chapter 7 is as continuing this outside story, the work to be done. The first thing is the wall is built, and then they appoint leaders to oversee Jerusalem. 
And then we see the order is given not to open the gates until the sun comes up. Now, the reason for that is that in darkness, that's when the enemy sneaks in and tries to harm you by the darkness of night. When I was over in Vietnam, we worked in the nighttime and slept in the daytime because that's when the enemy would want to come in. And during the nighttime, they'd have what they call illumination flares. They'd fire these illuminations, would light up uh, the whole sky, and we could see what's going on. So this is what was happening there. They were concerned of having these gates open and having people sneak in and you couldn't see them. And then what else do we see here? Uh, the order is given not to have the gates up, but also guards are appointed because all of the buildings are not yet secure. So we see a continuation of the work that needs to be done. But now we turn to verses 5 and 6 of chapter 7. And this is a transitional portion to the rest of the stories. And the first thing that we notice here is that God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of genealogies to those who came up at first, and I found written in it. These were the people of the providence who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. So what we see here is the nobles and officials, they're gathered together, and the exile return to Jerusalem. And now, if you'll turn to verse 73, it's the last verse in chapter 7. And chapter 7, verse 73, is our connection as we continue the story. So it says this. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their own towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in the towns. So now we move into chapter 8, and we see a vast change in the dialogue that's going on here in the book of Nehemiah. What is happening now is, we can look at it this way, we are now shifting to what I call the inside story. And what is happening to the people here as they're gathered? What are they doing? They're reading the word of God. So let's take a look at it together. And all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the Lord. Now, why is this significant? Well, we see the people gathered. We see Ezra the scribe reading from the book of Moses at why is this so significant? Because the original law that was given to God's people, they rebelled against. And if we were to go back and to look at the story, 
in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we'd see over and over again of the rebellion of the people that eventually led them to the exile. And one of the things that comes to mind is that when God had the uh, Egyptians uh, let the people go, what was happening there is that millions of people God led out into the wilderness and took care of them by day and night. And what we see is the last act is parting the Red Sea and allowing God's people to cross the Red Sea and then send Moses up to get the Ten Commandments. And so what did the people do when Moses was going and getting the Ten Commandments? They built the golden calf, didn't they? And they again went against God's teaching. So why this is so significant at this portion is that the people now are understanding God's word and it's now penetrating their heart at a much deeper level. So let's take a look at then the rest of the uh, verses here as we take a look at uh, verse 5 and uh, verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Faces to the ground, a sign of humility. But in a much larger sense, not only the sign of humility, but they are shifting from the outside story, the outside work of building the walls, to an inside story of rebuilding their own hearts. This is a transition from doing the work to allowing God to do your work on your heart. I know as we're here today that many of you, in fact, probably most of you, are struggling with issues of life. Whether it's a broken marriage, whether it's a family issue, whether it's a sickness, whether it's financial problems, whether it's just whatever, I know that you're really, really struggling. And yet, you may be stuck in what I call the outside story. When people ask you how you're doing, how do we normally respond? Fine, fine, but are you really fine? And what happens to us is we need to shift from the outside story to allow God to work in our heart. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. The writer says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the path everlasting. And so what we see here in this portion in chapter 8, verse 6, we see the start of embracing the inside story. Well, the story goes on in chapter 8, and starting with verse 9, it says, this day is holy. And what we're seeing here is a picture of God's faithfulness to his people. So let's look at this together. Nebuchadnezzar, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, 
For all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. See, what was happening to them is the word was penetrating their heart. For all the people as they wept, and they said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved. Then what does it say? For the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We've seen that in one of our songs just a little bit ago. Those words come from the book of Nehemiah. So the question as we're looking at this inside story that we're talking about today for you personally is do you have the joy of the Lord in your heart? Does he give you the strength to face the difficulties of life? Or you try to make it on your own and do your own thing? And if you're trying to make it on your own, I'd ask the question, how are you doing? Because you're probably not doing very, very well. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Okay? This is a heart change. And right here, as, as we're looking at this portion now, God is speaking to you. I'm not speaking to you. God's speaking to you. And he's saying to you, when are you going to come to me and let me give you the peace in your own heart? When are you going to have the joy that I can give? And Jesus said, I came to do what? Not only to seek and to save the lost, but to heal the brokenhearted and set the captive free. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So now what happens as we understand 7, chapter 7, finishing up the work, and then moving into chapter 8 and seeing the word of God penetrating people's hearts. And they start, and they start looking at themselves from the inside out. The inside story takes over and they start looking at what's going on. And it naturally leads to the flow in chapter 9. Because what happens here in chapter 9, the people confess their sins. Let's take a look at this together. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth. And, and I'll stop there for a second. Uh, very traditional of fasting and sackcloth. That was what we would call a period of mourning and a period of sorrow. And what was happening here is from chapter 8, as they read the word of God, and now they're moving into this area, they confess. What are they confessing? They're confessing, first of all, that they have not allowed God to be the center of their life. They confess that the joy of the Lord is not something that they ever be embracing. They confess that they've tried to make life work on their own, and it's not working. So on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled, and fasting in sackcloth and with the earth on their heads, they would actually take dirt and dump it on themselves. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in a place and read from the book of the Lord 
and the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. So what do we see here in these first few verses? The people of Israel were assembled, they were fasting, dressed in sackcloth, putting dirt on themselves, and here's the real key. They confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. Now what was happening here, they went back, and if we were to read through the rest of this chapter, we would say they go back and they look at the failure of their fathers, their family, and they're moving away from the, uh, the Lord they, over and over again. And it grips them. And I know there are times in your life and my life where we're going along and all of a sudden something happens to us. And it grabs us. And we realize at that very moment that God is speaking to us. It's saying, when are you coming to me? When are you coming to me? When are you going to allow me to heal your brokenhearted and set you free? And this is what's happening in, in verse 9 here. So we have some things to look at. I'm going to put them on the screen for you. And what can we, you and I today, as we're sitting here, learn from the book of Nehemiah? Especially chapters 7, chapters 8, and chapters 9. The first thing that we learn in, in, throughout chapters 1 through 6 and then into 7 is that God's people need to be drawn together for a common purpose. We hear at Grace Point, I use the word very often, it's a family. We consider ourselves a family. And if we truly believe that we're a family that God has brought together, what that means is we pray for one another, we laugh with one another, we cry with one another, and we come alongside of each other and be there for one another. That's what God calls a family to do. So we're not just a church, we're a family, a church family, who today worships together and praises the Lord, and then spends some time getting to know others and knowing them at a much, much deeper level. And the second thing that I see as, as I look at these three portions, as we work together, we need to take time to rest. Some of you in this room don't know what rest looks like. 100 miles an hour, go, 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 seven days a week. And you wonder why that is. Well, if you're going so fast and you're not resting, how can you hear God's voice speak to you? Okay. Psalm 46, it says what? Be still and know that I am God. It doesn't just say, know that I am God. It says, be still. You've got to slow down a little bit and allow God to anoint you with his love and his praise and guide and directions. We need to reflect. What do we need to reflect on? We need to reflect on who we are. We need to reflect on where we're going. 
We need to understand God's purpose in our life. This is our story. This is our story that we're looking at. And then we need to enjoy one another. We had a uh, primetime dinner last night and had an opportunity to speak to the group um, about my military career. They were very fascinated about my military career. Don't ask me why. Uh, so I told them all about my military career. But what I did is I opened the door of my life just a little bit so they could see the inside story of some of the struggles and the lessons that I've learned and why I function the way I do in certain things. Share just a little bit of my inside story. And it helps me so much. Do we enjoy each other? Do we get time to know each other and to love each other and to, to spend time together, whether it's a life group, whether it's a men's ministry, a women's ministry, uh, just getting together in the choir, whatever the case may be. Do you enjoy the fellowship with others? Do you enjoy each other? And then as we move into chapters 8 and 9, there's some real key concepts here. The first one is that God is faithful to us, even when we're not faithful to him. God is faithful to you and I, even when we doubt him, we deny him, we move away from him, we don't follow him, we don't worship him. God is still calling you. And so this morning as we're here in the quietness of these moments, we're feeling God's presence, we're feeling God's grace towards us. And God may be speaking to you this morning. He's asking you to come back to him, to embrace him, and allow him to give you what you're looking for. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And the fourth thing we see here is God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Aren't you glad this morning that God is slow to anger? Aren't you glad that he's so gracious and cares about us and compassionate? What do you and I deserve? You and I deserve the sentence of death. Scripture teaches us that the wages of sin is death. But because of God's great love for us in going to the cross, and having Jesus die on that cross and rise again, you and I today can know the joy of the Lord. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And then, of course, the key here that this book is teaching us about that Ezra taught the people, and they continue as you look through the rest of the book. God must be worshipped, honored, and praised. That's our story. But there's one other part to it. It's what we call the larger story. Okay, the larger story. What part do you play in the larger story? Are you God's child? If you are, are you serving him? Are you allowing him to use you with the gifts and talents and abilities that he's given to you? 
Are you coming alongside of others and, and resting with them and reflecting and enjoying their presence? Have you embraced God's story? What part do you play in the redemptive story? And that's a question for all of us to ask today, to including myself. What part do I play in God's story? Because the larger story is God's story. And see, Nehemiah was called by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he went through a lot of difficult times and he went through a lot of opposition. But ultimately, it wasn't the walls that needed to be rebuilt. Oh, yes, they did. But the bigger issue is there had to be a total healing of the heart. And so God used the story, the redemptive story, of allowing the walls to be rebuilt, and gradually the people realized their sins. And they came back to God, and God brought them back into their land. And when they heard God's word this time, instead of rebelling against it and doing their own thing, what did they do? They fell down on their face, wore sackcloth and ashes, and worshipped the Lord. This morning, the question I ask you is twofold. First one is, what's going on inside of your heart that needs to be turned over to the Lord? If you're struggling with something, when are you going to take time to allow God to work with you? He's waiting for you. The Savior is waiting. Savior is waiting. And then what part do you play in God's story, the redemptive story? Are you waiting for that day when he will return and set up his earthly kingdom and you and I will have a part in that? Do you have the joy of the Lord this morning? Or are you really, really struggling together? This morning in just a few minutes we'll pray together and, and if you are I want to not only pray for us generically, but I'm going to pray for you individually. Pray for those that are really struggling. God already knows, so I don't have to use names. But if you're struggling today, I'm going to challenge you not only to allow God to work on your heart, but allow him to become Lord of your life and allow him to take that pain and struggle and all the issues that are going on in your life and so that you can find the joy of the Lord. Again, can we pray together this morning? I'm going to come down here by you. And Lord God, I know that so many are struggling today. I know, Lord, that there are those that are sitting here today that are crying out to you. Lord, and I know you would hear their prayer because you promised that. And so in the quietness of this moment, we call upon you, Lord. We call upon your grace and your mercy. And I'm asking you that you will touch the lives of those that are here. You promised to heal the brokenhearted and set the captive free. And you promised to walk with us in our darkest hour. And Lord, so we claim that promise this morning. Whether it's sickness, relationships, finances. You know that you already know. Lord, but this is the day that you will change lives because people will come to you and realize that only through your grace and your love 
can they really know the larger story and be part of the larger story. Lord, we thank you for Grace Point. We thank you for all the families that come out. We thank you for the work that's being done in the children's ministries, in the young adult ministries, in the men's ministries, women's ministries, Lord. And we also know that we need more workers. We need people to do more things, Lord. So today, the challenge is also that if you are here and are not serving, that you will allow God to open your heart and to serve here at Grace Point. Lord, we love you. And we just commend all of us to you today. We thank thee and praise thee in Jesus' name. Amen.